If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 19. Usually when I begin a message, I will look for a video or I will look for something that is kind of a fun little story to begin the, the topic for the day. As I've been studying this passage, as we come to, to Genesis chapter 19, there is a solemnity, a soberness to the topic that does not avail itself to lightheartedness. We come to Genesis chapter 19. We enter into a time of incredible judgment. We enter into a passage that speaks of God's end to his long suffering and his desire to destroy, obliterate that which was evil and that which was corrupting the world that he had created. With that in mind, I begin this morning not with a lighthearted video, but I begin with a commencement address that was given last week. It was given by Clarence Thomas. And in the video, there's two things that you'll notice. One is Clarence Thomas is not a very good public speaker. He's an incredibly intelligent man. But the second thing, is that as he speaks, there is a reality to what he has experienced that I think is something we are all struggling with as believers living within the culture and within the nation, within the time in which we are living. So as we take a look at Sodom, and we're going to talk about why I use the phrase inside Sodom. We begin with an address by Clarence Thomas. Listen to the words he has to say. As the years since I attended college edge toward a half century, I feel a bit out of place talking with college students or recent graduates. Much it's must it, much has changed since I left college in 1971. Things that were once considered firm have long since lost their vitality, and much that seemed inconceivable is now firmly or universally established. Hallmarks of my youth, such as patriotism and religion, seem more like outliers if not afterthoughts. So in a sense, I feel woefully out of place doing this or any commencement. My words will perhaps be, perhaps be more of a vintage nature than currently in content, than current in content. He begins by saying that something has happened in which basically the world in which we live is turned upside down. Things that were assumed to be settled and sure have been unmoored. 
and things that were considered inconceivable a generation ago have now become the norm. Do you feel that? Do you sense that? Do you get a idea that what is taking place in our world is very disturbing and very troubling and moving in a disastrous direction. Those are the thoughts that I had as I came into Genesis chapter 19. And as we deal with Genesis chapter 19, we are dealing with the story of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And in that story, there are three primary characters that are a part of the historical setting, of the historical account. The first is God. And God has a certain response that he will bring about in the midst of what is taking place. And we need to look at that. We need to understand that. The second major character, the role that takes place within the story of Genesis chapter 19, is that of the righteous. Those that were part of God's people and part of God's covenant. And there are specific declarations and specific ways in which they are called to to respond, particularly Lot. The third character, the third role, is, of course, that of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God has a response in dealing with them. That's one of the major themes, is to take a look in Genesis chapter 19 at each of those roles and ask the question, where do I fit in and what's my responsibility? The second major theme of Genesis chapter 19 is this. Sodom and Gomorrah is not just something that existed on the outside. Sodom and Gomorrah is something that existed on the inside. And that God, especially with his covenant people, require us to respond not only to the unrighteousness that surrounds us, but here's the bigger theme. It's the end of Genesis chapter 19, that that terrible, disgusting, incestuous events that remind us that the biggest concern for God's people is the Sodom and Gomorrah that's on the inside. And every single one of us here struggles with that. How the unrighteousness that surrounds us begins to invade us. As we look at Genesis chapter 19, and again, if you have your Bibles, turn there. We're going to look at a couple of passages. This is the theme that evil is a danger both within and without that must be eventually abolished, destroyed. And as you're reading through Genesis chapter 19, 
One of the first things that we begin to understand is this, that it is God who determines what is evil. And that's one of the struggles within our culture. That's one of the struggles within our lives. We want to say we are the ones that are going to tell God what it is that is right and wrong. We are going to tell God what is righteous and unrighteous. We are going to tell God what is just and unjust. We are the standard bearers, and God says no. I loved what Debbie did with worship this morning, because the whole idea is that God is holy, and he calls his people to holiness, not because he's some big, mean ogre in the sky, just looking for when we have fun and going, all right, that's enough. I'm holy. Stop it. Not at all. God is the one who created and designed us. He knows how we function best. The best way to live our lives, the most productive ways to live our lives, the most significant ways to live our lives, the most overwhelming ways in terms of the impact we have both within and without that we can live our lives. And God says, this is how I want you to live. Not because I don't want you to have fun and I'm looking up there, I'm in heaven looking down saying, knock it off. But because I know how I've designed you and how I want you to function. Several years ago, I remember reading an article where somebody had sued craftsmen because they had decided to take their lawnmower and use it as a hedge trimmer. Can we say, duh? Thank you. And what happened was they dropped the lawnmower and took off a part of their foot. They sued Sears because Sears, in their owner's manual, did not have written in there, do not use your lawnmower as a hedge trimmer. Now there will be a statement like that somewhere in the instructions on dealing with your craftsman lawnmower. But the idea behind that is the designer gets to write how what he has designed should be used. And when we violate it, when we violate its design and its purpose, there is danger. Now, in Genesis chapter 19, you begin to read there, and as you begin to read through, you you know the story. Again, you've either read the story or seen the movie. And in there, two two of the beings that had been interacting with Abraham, two who are now angels, come to Sodom and Gomorrah, and there are to Sodom. And the idea is they have come to know what is going on. And the idea of know there is the word yada. I read an article this week, had a great title. The title was Yada, Yada, Yada. But the idea is the idea of know, the word to know that's found in this passage is a key to understanding it. And and the angels come, God comes in order to know, meaning in an experiential way, the, the evil that has taken place. Is this really as bad as it is? And it's not that God didn't know, but it's just an anthropomorphic way, a, a humanized way to tell us that God takes this seriously. It talks about the fact that God sought to know Abraham, and Abraham sought to know God. And what it means is to know in an intimate way. 
I can know knowledge in an intimate way. I can know a person in an intimate way. And sometimes the word means to know somebody in the ultimate intimate way that humans can know, and that is sexually. And the word is used a number of different ways in this passage. And as you begin to read down and you interact, you see that place where the evil of Sodom and Gomorrah comes out in its absolute starkness. As they come in and, and, and Lot invites them to come into their house, the two angels, the men of the city, in fact, it's so interesting that as Moses is writing this, he uses these words, both young and old and all the men of the city. In other words, this corruption was everywhere. And this is what the passage says. Lot went out, I'm sorry, beginning in verse 9. The men called out to Lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them to us so that we might know them. Some have said, well, the know there means they just wanted to get to know them better. Sorry. The context is clear as Lot comes out and offers his two daughters in their place that they might know his daughters. The corruption here is a sexual corruption. And one of the things that takes place is in the presence of evil, there is a behavior that begins to demonstrate not one behavior, but many. And you see the evil of a society. You see the evil of a people. You see the evil of a person in the things that they begin to do. And the reality is, in this passage, the behavior is one of homosexuality. It is clear from the passage that the actions involved are homosexuality. They come wanting to know these men. Now, I know what we tend to want to do, take this passage and run out and say, see, God here is condemning homosexuality, and Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed because of their homosexuality. That is a total misunderstanding of the passage. That's not what God is saying. Now, the no here is a sexual reality. The no here is a homosexuality. And in fact, later on in Jude, Jude, not chapter, there's only one chapter, Jude 7, the writer of Jude says this, Godom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. That's God's standard. We want to live at times within our society. We live in a society that has begun to say, this is something that needs to be morally acceptable. God's word says, no, it's not. It is clear, we don't have time to look at all the passages in Scripture that homosexual activity is a violation of God's standard. That is true here in Genesis chapter 19. It is true in the book of Deuteronomy. It is true in the book of Leviticus. It is true in the book of Romans. It is true as you go all the way through Scripture. It is not acceptable to God. It violates his design. But here's something we need to understand. It is clear that the corruption of Sodom was of a degree that was hideous. This is a gang of men seeking to abuse sexually these two other men. 
I am cautious because we have younger kids, but you get the sense of corruption that is involved here. You get the vileness that is involved here. You get the sense that in this city, both young and old, all, and the idea there is the entire culture, the entire city, the all, sought to abuse another person in this way. And I don't care where you go in our country, as bad as our culture may be getting, there is no place you go to our culture where it's that hideous. Where all of the authority seeks to use and abuse another person in such a vile and violent way. But as you look at this passage, it also becomes clear, and this is the important truth, that the sexual sin is only one aspect of the corruption of evil that is taking place in this city. If you want, it's just the symptom. If you want, it's just the tip of the iceberg. Remember the the Titanic? The problem with the Titanic wasn't the one-tenth that was above the water. It was the nine-tenth that was below it. And that's what you begin to see in this passage. And as you develop and you look at other scriptures, you come to Ezekiel chapter 16, where God is talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's comparing that city to, to, the, 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 to the people of Israel. And he says, now this is the sin of your sister, meaning the, the northern kingdom, meaning Israel. And he calls them Sodom. She and her daughters, and now listen were arrogant. They were overfed and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before me. Therefore, I did away with them as you have seen. What is is Ezekiel saying? The problem with Sodom wasn't just a sexual sin. That was just the symptom. The problem was the heart. The problem was the unrighteousness that had invaded every aspect of their society. The society sought to take advantage of anyone to whom they could take advantage of. God said, enough. Enough. As I said last week, we can look at an ISIS and look at them beheading people and look at them drowning people in cages and looking, look at them throwing um, people off of roofs and, and all the kinds of insane, insane evil that is a part of them. And there's something inside of us that says, God, that needs to be judged. That's what we're talking about. But there's another way that evil is demonstrated in this passage, and the presence of evil is found in the response to the people when they are exposed to their evilness and wickedness. Lot comes out and says to them, don't do this. Don't do this wicked and evil thing. If you have Genesis chapter 19, beginning in verse 9, you have the response of the people. They said, get out of our way, they replied. And then they said, this fellow came here as an alien. Translation, he's not one of us. He doesn't belong. He doesn't, he's not one of us, part of us. 
The second thing they say to him is, how dare you judge us? He wants to play our judge. Does that sound familiar? And then finally, we will treat him worse than the way we were going to treat these other men. How do you get much worse? When a person, when a people, when a culture gets to this level of evil, there is a predictable response. The first thing that that will be done, boy, we're having problems this morning. Your battery is running low. Okay. We will see what happens. Hopefully we won't lose it. They ostracize those who would stand against the corruption. You have no right to speak to me. You have no right to say this to me. You have no right to say what's right or what's wrong. Who do you think you are? Second response is they condemn as judgmental those who would oppose their corruption. You just think you're better than we are. What right do you have to say this is wrong? And my response is none. It's what God says. And then finally, they attack viciously those who would resist their corruption. Here it's physical. Sometimes it's economic. Sometimes it's personal. Sometimes it's relational. That God's word demonstrates an evil that has gone so deep that even when exposed, it will not be looked at. But finally, the source of evil is found in the absence of righteousness and justice. And here's the key. Sodom and Gomorrah were not judged because of the sexual corruption. They were judged because the sexual corruption showed a much deeper problem. You see, all the way through here in Genesis chapter 18 and 19, as you begin to focus away from Abraham and more towards Lot, there is this contrast between the righteousness and justice of Abraham and the unrighteous. Could I have somebody just come up? Dave, could you come up and plug in? Somebody unplugged underneath the, the cord. So just make sure it's plugged. There's a strong contrast between Abraham and Sodom. And the idea is when these visitors, okay, don't look down at him, look up here. As these visitors come to Abraham, Abraham honors them. Abraham listens to them. Abraham is hospitable to them. Abraham does all those things that are right and just and upright before them. Sodom does just the opposite. And the contrast is between Abraham, Abraham, who is righteous and just, and Sodom, who is ultimately unrighteous and unjust. In Genesis chapter 18, as God was talking about Abraham, he says of his household after him that they are to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. And then he takes Sodom and says, here's the total opposite. When instead of seeking righteousness, I seek unrighteousness in all that I do. And instead of justice, I seek to you. Righteousness in this context involves living in conformity to the purpose, design, and character of God. Justice involves 
treating others in a way that reflects righteousness. One is the motive, the other is the action. And as a people, as a person, as a culture becomes unmoored from that which God has set as what is right and what is proper as the one who created humanity, as man becomes unmoored from that, the level of corruption increases. So when God is rejected, corruption and evil expands. It is demonstrated in Genesis chapter 19. It is taught in Romans chapter 1. Listen to what Paul writes as he's talking about the sinfulness and understand the problem here is not the sexual corruption. That's simply a symptom. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised, amen. Because of this, because of what? Because of the rejection of God, the rejection of righteousness, the rejection of justice and living out that righteousness. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way also men abandoned natural relationships with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts and, and on and on we go. And then Paul writes this. Nope, Paul writes this. Furthermore, says they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. He gave them over to a depraved mind. That's the problem. We tried to legislate morality, and I understand there's a need to say there are things within a culture that a person can do and not do, but legislation is not going to make the change. We may fight for or against a political figure or a political party, but that's not what ultimately is going to bring about the change. We might scream and yell and boycott this and boycott that, but that's not what's going to bring about the change. Change in a person or in a culture is when the heart is changed when the mind is changed. And God has made each one of us, and this is next week, to be his ambassador, to be his representative in the world, to be building the relationships in which we can influence and pour our lives into others and to begin to change the thinking and watch God change the heart. As a result of that depraved mind, They do what ought to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, Ruthless. That was Sodom and Gomorrah to the extreme, where no righteousness or justice remained. There was one righteous family, one remnant, 
that no longer had influence on that society. And God removed the remnant and said, enough. When you read Genesis chapter 19, here's what you come to understand. Sodom and Gomorrah were not judged because of homosexuality. Rather, homosexuality was a symptom of what of why they were destroyed. A total rejection of all righteousness and justice. God said, enough. The cry of the city has come to my ears. And the idea of cry there is the victims have so created a turmoil before me that I must act. Beloved, our culture is not that. Can we please relax a little bit? There, are, there is goodness still in our culture. There are good people still in our culture. Not everyone from top to bottom, old and young, you know, all are, are that kind of wickedness. Are we moving in that direction? I'm afraid so. But God still has a righteous group that still can have influence on your family, on your neighborhood. Do we see a culture that is in some ways collapsing? Yes, we do. Does that mean tomorrow God's got to judge the United States? No. Could it come to that? Maybe. But what it does call to us is it calls to us to be God's example in the midst of the darkness. Do you know what the joy of this whole thing is? And we're going to end here. I'll pick up the rest next week. The joy of this is that the light shines that much brighter in the midst of the darkness. As you show love to those who are struggling, as you show kindness to those who are struggling, as you choose to respond, as God has called his people to respond. And let me just kind of flip real quick. Isn't that cool? Just vroom, 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 vroom. Okay. You see, what God calls of his people is this. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. Yes, we live in a society that is struggling. But our response is not to go out and to stomp our feet and scream and yell and be violent and angry and all of the rest. We can be angry when injustice damages another, and we'll talk about that next week. But God calls us in the midst of this darkness to live as light, to love, to care, to be different, to invite, to encourage goodness and oppose wicked.
Genesis 19 is a a chapter of judgment, yes. But more than that, it is a chapter which speaks of the long-suffering of God who will put up with the struggles of a fallen humanity as long as he possibly can to the point where there is no longer any hope. That's mercy and grace. It is the story of the requirement and responsibility of God's people to be the light and the righteousness and the justice within the darkness. It is a call on every single one of us here who calls themselves a follower of Christ to seek ways to reach out to the friends, to the family, to the neighbors, to the co-workers, to the fellow students, and seek to love them. Seek to care. Seek to do good in order that the light might be seen in the midst of the darkness. Next week, we'll look at what our responsibility is, how we're to react more in detail. This week, just be motivated to be about loving and caring and being a light in the midst of a great and growing darkness. Father, thank you for the passages that are before us, for the example that we see. Father, may we be those who are that light. Begins with a relationship with your Son, the presence of the Spirit within us, his work of making us an ambassador. And we invite any who are not certain of their relationship with you, or they're not certain that they have a, a forgiveness from through your Son and by faith that they would come and speak to someone. Father, those of us who are certain of that relationship, help us to live as those who are ambassadors in the midst of a corrupting society in a way that represents your love and your care to leave the judgment and the punishment in your hands for your glory, for your honor, And in the name of your Son, we ask it.